Scott, oh my God, Immortal X-Men is finally here. And we got so many answers post Hellfire Gala. Like, it's seriously insane. Yeah. Uh, what a time to uh, be alive. Uh, and uh, which which segues nicely into uh, old, uh, old, old chuckles there on the beach. Think that everybody's dead. You're like, which segues over. You're so fucking salty, bro. Um, called it. Called it. There was no way they were killing off a quarter of a million mutants off screen. And I, I even thought in the pacing of the Hellfire Gala that that last scene with Chuck being like, I put them through a meat grinder. Oh, my God. I thought that was utter bullshit. It just felt shoehorned in there editorially. Yeah. I mean, like. It, it, it's it's not our first like x-men rodeo you don't kill off um most of the cast uh you know just like in one fell swoop what you do is you get wanda to come in and just genocide the mutants that's the traditional x-men way i'm kidding wanda stance i'm kidding we're at peace now <laughs> you mean the redeemer the redeemer you're at peace with the redeemer well, let's let's not go that far, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there was no way they were going to kill everybody, and like it's yeah, um, so you know, okay, nice nice fake out, um, but you know, we're here, we're back. I mean, listen, listen, I didn't think it was going to be a fake out at all. I mean, granted, we we get some scoops here at Power of X Men, so I don't want to sound like completely disingenuous here, but I just think like. I thought it was really melodramatic at the end of the Hellfire Gala where Xavier was like, they're all dead. They're all dead. Go rogue. Avenge, avenge us. I was like, this is such a weird ending. And like, I can't believe no one thought to be like, let's pace this out a little bit. But I don't think I know. How did you feel about the Hellfire Gala? Um, I enjoyed it overall. Uh, I had a couple of uh, issues with it. Like, um, the, the way that Nimrod entered really did not sit well with me, with him, like, cracking a joke and then just eradicating <laughs> um, most of the team. Um, but, you know, like, it, Krakow was never always just going to be, you know, endless tiki bar scenes and sex on the beach like bad stuff was going to happen it was just like at, I, I felt like the execution fell short or was problematic at points but like overall um it was it was good it got the job done i mean i agree with you the way nimrod kind of killed all of the newly elected x-men i was like pretty upset about but I just like for me, the greatest sin was Jubilee pointing up at the sky and being like, oh, look, a shooting star. And then I was like, come on, Jubilee deserves better. Why does editorial hate Jubilee? I mean, first a vampire, now this. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I mean, and, and, you know, and then to have like like Nim, I I, I'm a I'm a big Jerry, uh, Jerry Duggan fan. Um, But the one of us. What? No, I'm not being shady yeah. here. We love Jerry. No, no, no. But like, um, I I loved like his his long running Deadpool and stuff. But like Nimrod's sort of flippant like like entrance joke felt very much more like a Deadpool kind of like right. like throwaway sort of quirky line. And it's just like, oh wait, it's mutant genocide, and just like didn't didn't exactly sit 
well but i you know i enjoyed it um i enjoyed it overall i enjoyed like sort of the chaos um the scene with bobby melting was horrific in like a like well done sort of way um and it's just like it it breaks breaks your heart when he's like calling out for he calls out to like like scott gene warren uh like his oldest um yeah not hank does no, not call no out one for calls hank. out to hank fuck beast fuck that guy yeah. no one wants him like he's here like please not hank anyone but hank and, and well, ironically hank is probably the only one who could cure him in that situation i mean like what's warren yeah. gonna do yeah but but hank's hank's often is uh skull gundam playing uh you know like like murder kissinger or whatever the fuck he is now and um no, I mean Warren. Well, Warren's got money. Money cures everything. Like we've, and he's got that. He's got the healing blood. Don't you remember? Like he used to do blood transfusions back in the day. Yeah, I mean, that's that. That's, we, we don't talk about the Chuck Austin era that much on here. So, God, we're just being so salty right now. Yeah, I think. Listen, as as I've sat with the Hellfire Gala these last few weeks, I've been. I'm not okay with how it's executed, but like, I love the idea that this Nimrod level event happened because Nimrod is responsible for a very major dystopian future futures for the X-Men. So the fact that he's active, he's online now, and he just eradicated everyone at the Hellfire Gala. I understand how on paper that makes for a really compelling story, but I feel this issue of immortal X-Men, which is finally here and gives us a lot of answers I feel like it could have been delivered sooner. I mean, I get it, pacing, whatever, who cares? Like in the long run, this is gonna be collected in a trade. But I just feel like this is probably the reaction I wanted to see out of Chuck at the end, because I do think Nimrod, what he did and the fact that he's online and he's a massive threat is something that everyone should be afraid of. I just, I worry that this is it for Nimrod, this fall of X. That's the only thing that makes me nervous because I had envisioned a secret wars level event for the X-Men with Nimrod and everything. I hope this is just one chapter for, for Nimrod going forward. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, Nimrod, Nimrod sort of has, he's got the cable thing where you can always have Nimrod come back since he's from the future. You can always have, whether it's this Nimrod or another Nimrod, um, appear. So even if this one gets taken off pretty early, um, you can always just have like another Nimrod Nimrod coming in. One thing I, 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 forgot that I did find really satisfying in the gala issue was Rogue just bursting out of the ground and ripping Moira McTaggart's uh, traitor metal ass in half. Okay, do do you think Moira is redeemable as a character? No. I agree. I don't think she's redeemable. I think she's Cassandra level in, in like unredeemable, irredeemable, whatever. I'm sorry, I've been living in Florida too long. I'm like unredeemable. I think she is irredeemable at this point. I don't think there's no saving Moira. I always like to think that Moira was probably one of those villains that was servicing a greater good. But what she did, I mean, first of all, killing Jean, a like that is like a deadly sin. That's like that's it. You're not coming back from that. But well, I guess I mean Magneto. But uh, they can wreck on it. Yeah. But um. I think just in general, though, just she what she did was just pretty awful and deplorable, and I just don't see her coming back from this. 
No. Um, I, I also have questions about like, you know, we, we just had sins of sinister, all of sinister's machinations were revealed to the world. The world is aware of like the sinister stuff. And then you've got Dr. Stasis who looks exactly like sinister, except uh-huh. with, um, a club on his forehead instead of the diamond. And people are just cool with, None of this makes any sense to me. The world building they have done for Krakoa and this fallout. I don't disagree that something like this should have happened, but I just think the world building and the execution has just not like, it's not jiving with me at all. Like I, I I think we're both big readers. I think when you read a lot of stuff and you sort of understand the mechanics of writing, something feels off here. And I just, I'm not, I'm not vibing with it. I mean, I I've thought that the world building with Krakoa overall has been has been excellent. It's just really bits... you would use the oh, word excellent, excellent. Com- compared to the prior twenty years of X books, yeah, this is probably the best world building we've had since the Morrison era. Um, I think some of the execution with this phase with Orcus has been all over the place um i think the the hickman era of this in particular was was excellent there were a lot of ideas seated there um but that's that's just me no i agree with you listen there's no doubt that since morrison this has been the most thought that's been put into x books i was just talking about this the other day with someone where it's very tolkien-esque that like, you know, we have our own language, we have our own like foresty setting, like Middle Earth. There's no doubt that Hickman really came to the X-Men. He understood that there was a huge fan base that was like hungry for a lot here. My thing has been like the certain nuances. I mean, in fairness, this is like me arguing about like, tell me about security or like polices in, in the in the Shrier for, for Middle Earth, right? Like no one gives a flying fuck. But those have been some of my nuances going into the Hickman age or the Krakoan age but I think you know what I really did like this issue of immortal and I'm really get glad that we that we got this issue and that we can like see that things aren't as bleak because I definitely felt icky leaving the hellfire gala I don't know how you felt after those like final pages but I definitely felt icky no I I mean I felt icky and I think we were supposed to feel sort of icky seeing all of our uh favorites uh get get just like fucked up for like 20 20 some odd pages i mean you were you were you know really traumatized by gene uh, <laughs> i wasn't dying. traumatized she's coming yeah. back she'll be back as she always does but yeah i mean I listen but okay so immortal x-men 14 it kicks off with a flashback to the hellfire gala and good old chuck is on the island and he's got some massive facial hair here, and he looks really, really distraught. Um, people have pointed out that uh, he basically looks like Kieran Gillen. Um, <laughs> my, my, no, like like my, minus the glasses. Uh, I mean, like, and it's like, oh, I can see what the artist, uh, the artist did here. Um, yeah, and he's like, he's on the beach, and it, it intersperses with his like flashbacks to like conversations with like destiny um where destiny is like you know make sure you get mystique out by any means necessary and charles literally asked her is something going to happen here irene and 
uh, since it's destiny like we don't get like a straight answer she's just like it might or it might not okay but Um, so that's my point which is like so they knew that something potentially could happen and there was no security system in place and like i'm sure they'll address it in x-force or another book of why security wasn't in place but like literally irene's like oh i don't know if something's gonna happen it may or may not but like the future is like blank for me i'd be like bitch the last time you saw a blank future we all went to hell so like we gotta take care like we gotta up the security here or we gotta talk to emma maybe we cancel the event right or or maybe you know x-force has been compromised because you know colossus is being controlled by mikhail and colossus is now the council representative on x-force so (laughs) right there so that's what happened okay so we so we get a flashback to everything that happened the night of the Hellfire Gala, and Chuck is looking up at the at the sunset or sunrise. I don't know what it is, but we flash to New York. Which, by the way, this entire scene right here with Sebastian Shaw and New Tessa, aka Shabon, made me miss New York so much. I'm like, I miss the days where you just went into an office in a skyscraper and drank during the day and just plotted the end of the world. But um, we find hey, out uh, you're. That- I mean. You're in the wrong industry. You can still do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, but, I think everyone in book publishing now is remote. But anyways, just but before we one last thing before we jump to Shaw, like you see Charles on the beach, um, you know, staring off and it's interspersed with like one of the final scenes uh, from the Hellfire Gala issue where he's crying on the same beach and yelling all dead. And I killed them because he can't sense any of the quarter million mutants anymore. And that's so weird to me. Again, I don't understand. I don't know if the leap makes sense to you in that, in that logic with, with him, because Emma later on will be like, we don't know for sure. I don't know why he's having such a huge reaction to this, like saying they're all dead. I don't know why he isn't like, well, I can't sense them. We have to figure things out is sort of where I would go. Because he's Charles Xavier and he is the center of his universe and i don't know like i'm not trying to be flippant like if charles himself cannot verify something particularly in this era where he is effectively the head of state of krakoa um it's out of his control so he just automatically assumes uh the worst particularly with cerebro which has enhanced his powers beyond what they've ever been his whole thing is like, well, my system can't fail, so everyone's dead. <laughs> okay, I love that so much more, yes. Okay, so the egotistical bastard that is Charles Xavier is like, well, if I can sense them, they must be dead because my powers and my system can't fail. So exactly. that is that is absolutely 110% like the explanation I want for this. Okay, so back in New York, Shaw is in his tower and he's talking to new Tessa, which is obviously a reference to Sage when she was part of the Hellfire Club. And Shaban, who is new Tessa, is talking to him that he now owns Krakoa, but not the finances of Krakoa. And so he's like really upset and he goes to summon Mother Righteous. And she is like, you don't make a deal with someone like me because I'm more of a sorceress. I'm a storyteller. I was always going to have like an ace up my sleeve. I'm not a businesswoman. And he's here like, you're going to pay for this. 
And then as Shaw comes out, he discovers that he is no longer a member of the Hellfire Club because it's under new management, which is Fisk. I'm like, oh, I was like, Dr. William Fisk. I was going to call him Dr. William Dr. Fisk. Dr. No. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not a doctor. <laughs> he's yeah. not a doctor. He's a doctor of crime. But William Fisk is now the White King. And he finds out through Emma that there is new management. And Emma comes into him psychically. And she's here like, you petty man. You sold us out for, you know, since I did Krakoa for the children. You did it, you know, just to like further your own cause. And Shaw's like, well, you know what? I can turn cents into billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we see the the deal at the end of the gala issue that Emma was making with Wilson Fisk, this is what it was. Uh, she was transferring control of the club to, uh, to Wilson Fisk. And he's, he's, he's Krakoan. He's a Krakoan citizen. He's married to, um, Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, ooh, that's some weird sex. And, um, <laughs> did you just get a visual of it? Unfortunately, yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, Shaw and and Shaw, uh, we we saw Shaw taking like an injection to suppress his mutant power. Oh, you're so, right. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. No, 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 so so like Orcus won't kick him off the the planet. Um, and you know, Shaw is like you said. He's like, you know what, my by mutant powers, he says this to New Tessa, and she says, you could absorb energy and turn it into power. And he says, no. My superpower is that I can turn sense into billions, like you said I before. And it's it's great. Shaw Shaw's a self-made man. His father was wealthy, but drank it all away. Hmm. Shaw rebuilt the fortune, <laughs> and he's going to start it again. Um, yeah, I really like how he's written here. I mean, listen, he's not a, a character we're supposed to sympathize with. He is like a Shakespearean Machiavellian type character. And that's what I love. But I think his lines are extremely clever when he's here. Like, I'm not a mutant. You know, I, it, 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 I was never a mutant. I just had the gene. And it goes to show you how he really saw himself in the in, in the rest of Krakoa. Mother Righteous. Is it Mother Righteousness or Mother Righteous? I as I'm saying, okay i feel like i don't know what's up with me today that like i'm saying all these names out loud i'm like that doesn't make sense it has to be dr william fisk but um i think you know when we see that scene with her she's here like you know you did the one thing you shouldn't do when you're dealing with magic people which is like break your circle and their circle was of course the quiet council so i just think all of this is just really well done i mean Props to the writing on this because it's just really appetizing, and we're we're seeing Shaw set up as like a major villain here. Yeah, and we see in the um, like the uh, the text page, it's the exploitation of Krakoa by Shaw Industries, uh, in, in like stages, and has like the plan for how they're going to exploit Krakoa's resources. Uh, you know what he has to do. Um, and, you know, it's like Shaw has a plan. Uh, and then we see him on a boat with Celine and New Tessa. And um, they're wondering why the uh, Orcus um, uh, troopers haven't been able to, to successfully land on the island yet. And the trooper claims that it's because of 
monsters. And Celine is very dismissive. And she says, not monsters, mutants. And they are gone. I love this scene. This reminded me of X-Men First Class, where the Hellfire Club was on a yacht in Miami. And Emma was just there sunbathing. I mean, this is a direct homage to that, I like to think. But yeah, so, you know, they're they're worried about monsters on the island. We find out it's actually Xavier psychically projecting these monsters and it's scaring them away. But, but before we get that revelation, we see Emma trying to communicate with Xavier and exactly what I said earlier, which is she's here like, hey, you know, Xavier, it's me, Emma. I'm worried about you. Me, Emma Frost, darling, I'm worried about you. You know, we can't know for sure that these mutants are dead. And Xavier is just like really dismissive of it. He's here like our children are dead. Emma, leave me alone. And he just ignores her and psychically projects those monsters to the Orcus agents that are trying to infiltrate the island. But Scott, are they really dead? Are these mutants really dead? Well, before we, we get there, you know, I think it's very poignant. Xavier says, um, you know, and now my people are dead and it's too late to let go. Now I will hold on to this rock as it sinks. But as long as I live, I will not let their memory be desecrated by those who are bathed in blood. And it's like, he's, he's not, he's going to keep people off of Krakoa, but he's not helping Emma try to find the living mutants. And as we find out, um, Pretty much all of them have ended up in this desert, uh, presumably on another planet, another dimension. This is why Charles. No when. Yeah, nowhere, no when. Uh, and we we come in on uh, Exodus, Hope, and um, Destiny, who cannot see, uh, and she cannot see the future. She can only see a white space. And um, she has a freak out because Raven isn't there. And, you know, she tried to save her and Hope just slaps her open palm across the face. And it's just like, she <laughs> says, Destiny, you are the ice cold, presumably bitch. Destiny, you are the ice cold bitch. I like that. <laughs> Pull it together. And like Exodus uh, senses um, that there are a quarter million minds here because he's telepathic and none of them are mystique or the rest of the five. And uh, it's the whole population of Perkoa. Um, and they were meant to arrive in Araco, but they're wherever they are now in the desert and Exodus. We see Exodus quickly take charge. Um, this is his, his milieu. This is his thing. This is the lost tribe in the desert. They need uh, strong leadership. And he says, you know, we will survive the desert as I did so long ago. We will be transformed like I was. We are mutant pilgrims. I, I will lead you to the promised land. Trust me. I have seen this in a vision long ago. And, um, you know, we are the people of Krakoa. We only have each other. We have only ever had each other. And whether we live or die, we will live and die together. And this way, and he just leads them towards this light in the distance. And uh, he says he has faith. And this is actually some of the most inspirational speech work from a member of the Quiet Council in the entire um, era. And it was the crazy religious guy 
did it. Okay, first of all, listen, I love Exodus's like BDE here. I I it, in the way that Lucas Warneck illustrates these pages, it's very biblical. You know, he has a halo and the sun shining behind him. I mean, and like that last shot of the page of him leading everyone throughout the desert and hope is like cradling Irene. It's gorgeous. The only thing that I would say is like, bitch, you have 250,000 mutants with you. Maybe someone can just fly up really quickly to be like, what direction are we going into? I don't know. Maybe use Hope, who can use Irene's powers, Exodus's powers, everyone's powers to sort of guide them out of it. I listen, it's just the first two pages. We'll give them we'll give them the next page. But I really did like the scene. And I'm really happy that Exodus is having a minute here because one thing that we always hear on DMs is that Exodus needs more time to shrine, to shine in 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 the books. And I think this is going to be him right here being Moses leading, you know, the Exodus. And hopefully we'll get a scene with him parting the ocean at some point, whatever port. Ocean yeah, they're at. I, I mean, we, we see in that last panel, there are people flying. Uh, so he's they're 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 getting off. They're they're going. Um, Wait, so it, at the Hellfire Gala, we saw the realm of X people coming through the portal, and he mentions the only people who aren't here are 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 Raven and the other lights. Do we think that Magic Marrow at all ended up with them? I think if they did, they would be shown here. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, they're supposed to be in other world. I think based on the are they previews. So that's if I remember correctly. Bali is that in other world? I don't know. Yes, that's one of the the parts of other world. Oh. So they're they're out there, but he's yeah. Mo- it seems like the vast majority of the mutants are here in this desert, and I'm sure in the next book, we're next issue, we're going to see you know, a lot more like prominent mutants who, you know, we didn't know if they survived the the gala or, or what. Um, and then it, it closes with a, a quote from the book of Exodus, the Bene du Paris translation, uh, <laughs> where he's, he's taken some creative liberties with translating uh, the book of Exodus. Um, but, you know, I, I think all in all uh, really really great issue of okay uh, can i tell you i don't read the data pages i skimmed through them at best and i did not even register this quote um let's see what it says the whole mutant people were cast out from krakoa and came to the desert in the desert the whole community grumbled against exodus and hope the mutants said to them if only we had died by orcas's hand in krakoa we sat around pots and plenty and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death the book of exodus yeah and i mean that's that's literally um uh moses moses and aaron uh taking the jews out of egypt into uh the sinai and how the people raged against moses and aaron and Blah, blah, blah. This is the most biblical criticism you're ever going to get on this <laughs> podcast. So enjoy it, people. If this, um, so yeah, it's 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 a neat 
neat take and you sort of get some insight into like some of what Exodus has been doing uh, during his time on Krakoa has been rewriting <laughs> scriptures. I have to tell you, I agree with you. I know I get you off to say the quote, but to pull the thread that you were already starting, I really did like this issue. I thought it was a really fun issue. I think if we had to do a follow-up to the Hellfire Gala that we got, this is the kind of follow-up I want to see. Yes, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking very much looking forward to the next issue and hopefully getting some more info on where they are um you know other survivors because presumably most people survived and yeah um, right this is a really good start for immortal x-men i'm really happy happy with this issue yeah the the only the only mutants that we definitively know are dead are the ones that we saw nimrod explode (laughs) Um, so yeah, you know, I, I was traumatized by seeing a bunch of Jamie Madrox waiters just get sliced right in half, <laughs> but Matt, Mad, Madrox prime, he's a crafty guy and I have a feeling he's in the desert too. All right. Should we go to children of the vault? Yes. Um, because children of the vault deals with, uh, two other unaccounted for, uh, mutants, um, and those are uh, Cable, uh, Old Man Cable, and uh, Bishop. Um, this is the... true. And we know they have so much history. And this is going to be fun. And they kind of address their history here, which I was kind of happy with. Yeah. Um, for, you know, people, newer readers or whatever aren't familiar, uh, check out Messiah Complex, uh, which is basically about Bishop and Cable trying to kill each other uh, for all of the time. I don't know how he could easily forgive, like Cable could easily forgive Bishop. I I get it. It, Bishop's actions weren't his own, but he literally chased Cable and Hope through time for like 15, 16 years and traumatized that poor girl. They were literally jumping through time because for those of you who don't know, Bishop at the end of Messiah Complex says that Hope is no Messiah, that the that the future he grew up in, where he was in a concentration camp, was because Hope is not a Messiah. She is the Antichrist, and she's going to kill a bunch of humans, and that's what's going to lead mutants to be in concentration camps in his dystopian future. So he chased Cable when he went into the future with Hope, and they had to jump around various um, times to avoid him. And it's significantly terrible for poor Hope. Yeah. Um, other than Strife and the late uh, Mr. Tolliver from early X-Force, uh, Bishop's probably the guy that Cable hates the the most. Um, and so, Apocalypse. Like, and Apocalypse. No, but he actually even says here he'd rather be with Apocalypse than him. Yeah, he, he <laughs> says he would, he, would, he would literally rather be with Apocalypse. Wow. Yes, he literally says that. Um. So, like, I I really enjoyed this. I I enjoy the Children of the Vault as like a concept. Um, and like for more explanation for like newer readers, um, Children of the Vault are from the um, early two thousands. Uh, they're post humans who live in this this society, this vault where time moves much faster. So they've aged, they've evolved much faster, and they've always been perceived as like an existential threat to the X-Men. 
And we saw earlier in the Krakoa era, um, Forge basically created a device to keep them in the vault. Uh, because they have, they're operating under the illusion that they've already won. They've already conquered the mutants. Um, and with Krakoa going offline, Forge's tech, you know, Forge's organic dream machine, wherever the hell it was, uh, is offline. So the children are busting out. Yeah, they come out of their dream machine in the way that the X-Men come out of their eggs. It's actually pretty cool. Um, I, I wanted to just piggyback off of what you're saying with the with the children of the vault. I mean, they debuted in was it Supernovas? They're Mike Mike Carey's like early yes. aughts X-Men run, and everyone should go check that out. I mean, Mike Carey was a phenomenal writer, and Supernovas was a phenomenal story. It was a really good time to be an X-reader. But yeah, so the children of the vault get out, and they're just like, I, I guess we have to take over the world. I, I was pretty unclear with what their aim was here, if you have a better idea with it. But they started showcasing the kind of cities they can build and the kind of technologies they can bring. Yeah, I mean, their their whole thing is they're they're not mutants. They're very definitively not mutants. Um, they're post-humans. They're humans who've forcibly evolved themselves over time. And their whole thing is like, we're going to lift humanity up as well. And it's like they're sort of like one of the other possible visions for the future of humanity. Um, you know, we see like Moira's various future, various timelines, the various futures and whatever. And one of them, there's one um, where she and Wolverine are the last two mutants in like sort of like a zoo mm-hmm. situation. And there's super evolved humans there and it's sort of like the children are sort of in that vein where it's an attempt to rather than naturally mutate it's a way to control um evolution and they really hate mutants and they really hate the x-men and um they live in what uh, the vaults in like guatemala ecuador i forget where it's supposed to be but um yeah it's definitely in south america and you know, on, on that vein, we, mentioning that timeline with Moira and Wolverine, we find out that mutants aren't actually the next leap in evolution. They're just a splinter in the time, you know, in the evolutionary line, and that humans yes. are the ones who will eventually evolve to being post-human. So the children of the vault are very emblematic of that. But we also find out that a one cable is actually being observed by Orcus, right? Is it Orcus? No, it's a shield. Yeah, uh, it's 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 Orcus with remnants of uh, of shield. Uh, he's he's in like a a bubble where they're they're running these tests on him, and he just keeps repeating um, what is is, which is like his his mantra from his Ascani son future birth stuff um, i want to go back to the ascani timeline just like as a sidebar <laughs> i love the ascani timeline but anyways mm-hmm. so daddy cable is in like briefs without his arm that's going to play a role later on and he's being observed by orcus and we find out that bishop comes out and he's here to rescue cable audible gasp and they are running through this orcus facility and cable 
has no idea what's happened at the gala. So when he gets on a motorcycle with Bishop, he has to download the information of what happened. And we also find out that his arm also serves as a bomb that can detonate. And so he blows up the entire facilities. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's like, there's a neat bit where he's, he's, he's in the bubble and it says the bubble is thought uh, impermeable. It's designed to hold an um, Xavier level telepath indefinitely and left on his own cable will escape in three days. Because cable like it, it gets overlooked in a lot of cable stories because a lot of cable stories tend to just be guy with big gun stuff like that. But he's an extraordinarily powerful psychic and telepath. But he spends so much of his time holding back the the techno organic virus, um, where he's he is a greater he's more powerful than Charles or Emma. Um, you know he's up there on the sort of like gene. Yeah. Quentin Choir level if he wasn't having to hold back the TO virus. So you see Cable in this issue actually do a lot of like psychic stuff that we generally don't see him do, which is was like a, a nice... Reason? Is there a reason why... I'm sorry to cut you off. Is, is there a reason why he keeps getting resurrected with the techno-organic virus? Have they addressed that? I don't think they've addressed uh, why he comes back with it again and again it might just be like it's it's always going to be there and is i i don't know i i don't know yeah no i don't know either because i mean so the idea of nate gray just to bring it back to nate gray was that he was supposed to be what cable would have been if he didn't have the to virus and i agree with you i think this issue we see him actually using his telepathic and telekinetic powers in a way we've never seen before and it really it, it was refreshing to see that because again he's just i mean he says it here he's he misses the 90s nothing's better than the 90s but he is very much a byproduct of the big guns you know era of comics yeah um and he uh you know convinces a, a guy on the street recognizes him and he sort of does the telepathic sort of Jedi mind trick and goes, uh, the guy goes, oh yeah, you're Josh Brolin. (laughs) Which I can't believe Josh Brolin isn't coming back for Deadpool 3. Uh, He's got that Thanos money now, isn't he? He's got that Thanos money. He's here like, I'm not coming back to the MCU. So they go to Hell's Kitchen and he has a store there. What's the name of the store called? What's the name of the store called? Dayspring. Yes, the best name ever. Or a flower store. And of course, all of us were thinking, like, why do you have a floor shop in Hell's Kitchen that, like, especially it looks like it's by the tunnel? And, you know, that probably costs a lot of money. And he's here, like, I got it in the 90s, the 1890s. And so this is sort of his hideout, which I can't remember in the long way home or the end of the cable series where Hope and Cable were coming back to the present. And they found this like locker or this like spot that Cable had with all of his guns. And he's he's here like I've been dreaming of this for a while. I don't know if this is supposed to be Dayspring, but the the Dayspring floral shop. But it's in Hell's Kitchen and he got in the 1890s. And it's a really nice like nod and callback. But before with the children of the vault, what was going on with them, Scott? Uh, They are remaking the world. Um, They're announced they're the... Serafina, who's the 
generally depicted as the leader of the children, you know, gives a speech and how it's it's clearly designed to echo Charles's speech from Hox Pox, where he reaches out to everyone on Earth's mind and is, you know, you have new gods now. Uh, they're talking about how they're going to give these gifts to everyone, you know, gifts of, you know, extended life, you know, poverty, new homes. Um, we see them, you know, they they cure uh, somebody, they make a, a a man walk who's been has been able to walk for ten years. They transform quote rock into prime rib. Um, they build, into prime rib. Rock into prime rib. They build cities in the desert, and um, you know it's it's sort of the the uh, uh, it's supposed to consciously echo like the start of right. the Krakoa era. And but Serafina explicitly says, you know, our ancestors left you, and they understood that humankind was on a road to self destruction, um, and you know how they've they've come back to to save humanity it's not that like the mutants where we're mutants and we're going to help you they're going oh we're we're just like you we're we're humans even though they're not they're post humans um right but i think this is what i really appreciate and actually just hearing you talking about it kind of like frames it all for me which is like they're post human but there are like a good like culture sample of what humanity could come become because the mutants had every opportunity to try to cure world hunger and a housing crisis and i know they kind of alluded to that like forge in the hellfire gala but these bitches are actually doing it like they're actually turning rock into prime ribs they're they're solving housing issues which is something the krakoans should have done from the get-go like well but but Orcus, Orcus was opposing Krakoa from the get-go, and you had, you know, Orcus, you had Terra Verde, you had all of these different things, and, you know, we see here Orcus, you know, e- even Orcus, high on victory and paranoia, refused to confront them, and internal meetings has decided that the children are a secondary concern, and they have to finish what they started with the mutants, and it's like, well, what if Krakoa wasn't opposed from the get-go, and what if just ordinary human bigotry wasn't directed at Krakoa. You could have, you know, Forge could have been building organic cities from the get-go. And this is like, it's the Avengers problem or the Fantastic Four problem where humans in the 616 are totally cool with like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and whatever, but mutants, that's a step too far. And whereas... These people are like, oh, we're we're just humans who've, you know, naturally, they haven't naturally hyper evolved. We're just like you, except, you know, silver and other crap. <laughs> and and it people are just like, oh, okay. Um, but as we learn at the end of the issue, it's actually a um psychic virus that's uh in people's brains. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So Cable notices there's something in Bishop, and it is, in fact, a virus. And I love how the artist really rendered him scanning Bishop, because we see Bishop, and then we go to Bald Bishop, and then we go to Bishop as a child, and he finds it right there. And I do like that Cable makes the comment of, like, another psychic could have picked this up easily, but all of them are dead post-Hellfire Gala. 
And then we find out that actually the entire planet, or at least where they're at, is infected with this virus, the psychic virus. Yes. Um, and so it says, that's... become the future. Become the yeah. future. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I care enough to continue reading the series. I'm curious for your thoughts. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to continue to read it because I the the, the children are very nostalgic. Um, God, I can't believe you're saying nostalgic. I mean, these bitches literally were created when I was like in New York in my twenties. Yeah, no, like I'm I'm definitely gonna revisit. It. I I really enjoyed the um the cable and um bishop dynamic, mm-hmm. and um. Like I'm, I'm not a huge bishop fan, um, largely because like my big bishop memories are hit, uh, you know, like like bishop bishop's crossing bishop, who's sort of a dick and is just trying to kill people, and then um, messiah complex bishop when bishop is. I yeah. love I, I I do love how bishop was rendered in messiah complex. I mean, it's one of those things where like. I don't know how you forgive, but I guess time heals all wounds, especially for readers. But I read the script for Messiah Complex when I was at Wizard, and it was very clear that Hope was baby Jean reborn. And Cable's main motivation was it's not only that she will guide us to salvation, that this mutant is a messiah, but it's also my mother reborn or my surrogate mother reborn but bishop was like no this bitch is going to go dark phoenix we have to avoid it and all this stuff so i i definitely can understand bishop's sense of urgency and why he would try to kill baby hope but i do wonder you know it did that do a lot of damage for long-term readers such as ourselves i think in the context of this like era like you can forgive bishop especially since they waved their hand and said he was possessed by something i forgot what the explanation was he was like possessed by something but the my bishop the the bishop that i grew up with like kind of loving ended and at the end of that cable series where he was at the end of the world and like the sun was going supernova and i was just like all right that's it he died and then he just came back on krakoa so like that's I know he came back in the interim, of course, but I did not follow along as closely as I should have. Yeah. Um isn't it Yeah, I, I I'm gonna level with you bits of Messiah Complex, like all the like Predator X sort of stuff. I I I just I can't I can't do it. I can't go back. Like, really? We need to revisit Messiah Complex on this podcast because I think it would be a lot of fun. I love Messiah Complex. I, I, So I had come back to the X-Book steering Morrison, of course, and all through Astonishing and House of M. But the Messiah Complex era, that, that through AVX, I felt I had to read the next issue. If not, I would like lose my shit. No, like that's that's completely fair. Like the my my big thing with it um is just i i remember like you're like i couldn't read because you were still a baby (laughs) yeah yeah um baby scott free with his like nerd chic glasses and like that smug look just shaking his head on the playground how how old do you anyway you know but (laughs) um uh x-factor uh investigations like I, I was reading that like yeah like 
monthly. So all the stuff with like Madrox and Layla in the 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 camp and the the MI and like that's oh, that's that was really beautiful. When Layla cries and she's here, like I'm Layla Miller Madrox and I know stuff, and then he explodes and he leaves her behind. It was just great. Oh, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, uh, listen, going back to Children with Vault. Way, way off Way off, way here. off here. We can yeah. blame it on my bottle of red that I'm drinking, shockingly. But um, I'm not, I don't know. I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. I don't think I'm coming back. I mean, I'll read it when it comes out on Marvel Unlimited, but I'm definitely not going to be spending the three ninety nine on this. Fair. You know, different, <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Um, but Immortal X-Men, my curiosity is peaked. I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited for Immortal X-Men. I think it's great. I'm really happy with it. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen next with the mutants. You know, I love it. I mean, speaking of Messiah Complex, I love it when they lean into like biblical imagery. I love sort of when they layer these stories with like deeper symbolism and meaning. Definitely. 100%. And uh, who, 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 who better to lead the mutants uh, through the trial of the desert? Then uh Benet du Paris. <laughs> Who we've been talking about with um I was gonna say Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, it is Astonishing X-Men over on the Age of Apocalypse. No, it's Amazing X-Men. It's Amazing X-Men. X-Men. We've been talking about him because he's Paris Bennett over yes. on Amazing X-Men with where we're at right now. Yeah. So uh, you know, check it out. Make sure to come back here for more Exodus content since that's <laughs> That's that's very much in the air right now. I I'm really excited for what we're doing this weekend. Do you want to tell people what we're doing this weekend? Uh we will be at uh FlameCon. I'm so excited. And yeah. The but- uh big LGBTQ Comic Con uh in the city. By Geeks Out. By Geeks Out. Yeah, we're going to be covering it. We'll cover it as we do all of our other content and cons here on the podcast. Mr. Scott Free is going to be cosplaying. We won't spoil what he's cosplaying as, but we will come up with some fun questions to put Mr. Scott Free on the spot and other people on the spot. And you'll see that all on the Instas. Yeah. Uh, Say hi, uh, unless you have a problem with us, in which case, say hi to Dayspring. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they probably have a problem with me. Everyone universally loves you. Everyone's always like, there's that hot mess. We don't want to have to deal with him. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to argue with you on that. Yeah, so check us out. We're going to be at FlameCon this weekend, and we'll be doing some live content there. It's going to be fun. We're going to be engaging. Homo Superior is going to be there. Gray Malkin Lane is going to be there. And, of course, Demanda Martini, who we love so much. Oh, CerebroCast as well. We love Connor. I saw Connor at WonderCon, and he was such a great vibe, everything. And I know you talked to him on the regular. We love Connor here. I mean, everyone always is always talking to me about his podcast. And obviously he had the scoop with Jerry Dugan after the Hellfire Gala. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Demanda Martini is going to be there. So bring your Demanda money. Um... <laughs> you need your Demanda money to get into the con to begin with. Anyways, we're going to have yep. fun there. It's going to be a great time. Um, I'm at Power of X-Men on Instagram. I occasionally try twitter and threads but is anyone even using threads anymore i don't think i've posted since like that first week yeah no one cares nope 
And I am uh, Mr. Scott Free on Instagram, uh, the app formerly known as Twitter. It's what X now oh, or something. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and uh, Blue Sky. If you're on Blue Sky, I'm there as well. What the fuck is Blue Sky? Exactly. <laughs> and with that, we'll see you next week, guys. <laughs>